solitary women working out the problems of their lives through the thread. That is such a moving thing to me. And my girlfriend, Natalie Channon, who has a workshop, Alabama Channon in Florence, Alabama. Florence, Alabama used to be the T-shirt capital of the world. And then when NAFTA happened, all of those factories closed and T-shirt making went elsewhere. After spending 10 years in Europe as a stylist, she went back to Florence, Alabama, where she was born and raised, and she just put an ad out, Seamstresses Wanted. And all of these women uh, who had worked in the factories started answering the ads. And she started making with them couture-level clothing. And she had a mission for handiwork and making things by hand and putting these women back to work. It was life-changing for me. We became friends. I went down to the factory. She calls it the factory, but it's not a factory. And... Um, learned to sew with her, and one day she was threading my needle, and she said, Honey, you have to learn to love the thread. And I started crying, and I I really didn't know why. And I took that line that she said, and I put it directly into my lyrics. The money's all in Nashville, the lights inside my head. So I'm going down to Florence just to learn to love the thread. I'm Natasha Giliberti, and welcome to MoMA's Magazine Podcast. Today, we are so incredibly lucky to have singer-songwriter Roseanne Cash here. This conversation is inspired by Taking a Thread for a Walk, which is an exhibition of textiles and fiber art here at MoMA. Roseanne has created a playlist for us, which you can listen to. The feather's not a bird, the rain is not the sea, a stone is not a mountain, but a river runs through me. So what does it mean to you to learn learn to love the thread? Well, it means a lot of things. It means to learn to love where you came from and who you came from, even if you have to cut them off, you know? I think there maybe acceptance is another word. Um, So I did, you know, I made this journey into the, through the South and into my own past and um, learned who I could love and who I had to cut out and what I was connected to. And I was far more connected to the land than I thought. Nature? Well, just the black soil that my grandparents, you know, they were cotton farmers. And I kept thinking about that, my grandmother's tenacity of raising seven children and picking cotton and living on a farm without electricity. Two generations later, I'm, you know, living in New York City with every amenity and luxury I could want and an easy life. I could never have done the work she did. I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not that person, but... 
I started looking inside myself for the tenacity that she had and hoping that we were connected by that. Yeah, and I don't know if you've read at all about like epigenetics and this idea that you kind of like carry trauma. Yeah, I have read about that, about carrying trauma and carrying grief. I think it's absolutely true. And also carrying some really ugly things, you know, my grandfather's racism. And my father broke the chain of that. But I think that even in my generation and in future generations, it's not enough to just break the chain. You have to repair and offer reconciliation. And um, in the deepest way that you can. I mean, when I was uh, touring the South with this album, The River and the Thread, where a feather is not a bird is on. I was playing at Do in Dockery Farms, Mississippi, which is where they call it the birthplace of the blues because some of the greatest blues musicians of all time, Charlie Patton and Hallam Wolf, picked cotton during the day there and played the blues at night. So my friend Will Porteous, he started a foundation and he wanted to bring music back to Dockery Farms. So he asked me to perform there. I was the first person to perform there, to play music there since it was a cotton farm. I mean, it was a haunted, beautifully haunted place. So after this performance, there was an after party. And it was mostly, you know, wealthy white people from Mississippi who came to support Dockery Farms. But the musician playing at the after party was a 90-year-old blues harmonica player named Cadillac John Knowlton. Nobody at the party was paying attention to him except for me and the band, and we kept cutting our eyes over to him, trying to listen to him while people are talking at us, you know. Good morning, little schoolgirl. Good morning, little schoolgirl. So after the party ended, I went over to him and thanked him. And he was so modest, and he said, oh, you know, when I would be behind the plow in the fields <clears throat> back in the 50s, we had a radio on the porch, battery powder radio. And whenever your daddy would come on the radio, we'd run out of the fields and gather around and listen to him. I know, I started crying like a baby. <laughs> It was so moving. And I realized how much I owed to him. You know, I get all the attention, but he's the prototype. I owe so much to black musicians in the South, you know, and to not acknowledge that is, it's wrong, it's, it's a sin. <laughs> Yeah, it brings me back to, um, you know, the idea of country music, you know, back in the day. Yeah. The radio stations were segregated. Yeah. But everyone was kind of secretly listening to each other's music. And don't you love that, that the music transcends? Yeah. In the South, in Memphis, they used to call it race music. They'd play black musicians on one radio station— 
and like you said, white musicians on another, except that all of the white musicians, my dad, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, um, were all listening to the black station, <laughs> to WDIA, which was the station that played race music, they called it. And so that station completely changed the course of country music through those young men. Yeah, it's we're all woven together. Yeah, it's it's bedrock. That music is bedrock. If you don't have the African banjo and the Celtic fiddle, you don't have country music. And so what do you see is the relationship between music and textile art? I mean, specifically, I thought about the technical abilities that a musician um, generally uses their hands and that the skills that they develop with their hands have to become very refined and precise. I mean, right now I'm thinking of symphony orchestral musicians who play the most intricate pieces and that has to be specific. There is no improvisation. It's a tight weave. It's a tight weave. <laughs> That's an excellent way to put it. Mozart did not leave room for improvisation. <laughs> you know, once I, um, I got sick of songwriting and singing and I thought I would take painting lessons and I wanted to just get away from words and notes and find out what just being immersed in images and paint was like. Well, I found out that the process of painting is exactly the same as songwriting and playing music and singing. It's exactly the same. You start with this kind of amorphous initial idea. You're inspired. You don't know where it's going. You keep working, you go deeper and deeper on the path, gets a little narrower, you see where it's going to end, and then there's that burst, you edit, you get to the end. I mean, I think every creative pursuit is like that. about the politics of the songs that you chose? Well, Nina Simone, I mean, context mirroring content. Nina Simone is, was an activist and incredibly outspoken and um, a revolutionary, really, for her time. And I was thinking about this image of this little girl in the cotton mill and how she was never free, ever. You put a child at that kind of labor she dies young. She never has the experience of being a child. But also there's that line in the song about breaking the chains, you know? So I thought about, well, sometimes you have to pull the threads apart and sometimes they break and you have to start over. I wish I could give all I'm longing to give. I wish I could give all I want to give. I mean, human beings, our instincts are to give of ourselves, to let ourselves flourish and be in the world. And, you know, when that's denied, it's, it's a sin. Yeah. It's a travesty. 
you know, weaving is you take this thing from the earth and you make something beautiful mm. about from it. Do you think that the industrialization of weaving takes the power away and the freedom away from the artist? Well, yeah, because it's not about art anymore. It's about a commodity. You know, you're, you're doing it for somebody else. You're not necessarily creating beauty just for the sake of beauty. You're in service. Not to say that artists aren't in service, you know. I mean, taking that, what you just said, away from the cotton mill and how brutal that was. Um, I do think artists are in the service industry, you know, for the heart and soul. <laughs> and we're the premier service industry for the heart and soul. <laughs> yeah, that's um, really It's true. too bad little Sadie couldn't ever experience the joy of creating something out of, you know, raw material out of fibers or cotton or thread or rope, you know, like these beautiful things you see in the the exhibit, taking a thread for a walk. She never got to take it for a walk. It was always <laughs> on the machine. Like a bird on a wire. So right in the middle like of the playlist, you know, I I couldn't help myself, Natasha, <laughs> but I put my father, my son, and myself in a row. In my way to be free. Dad singing "Bird on a Wire." Leonard Cohen wrote it. It's also about freedom like too. I mean, that line about "I've tried in my way to be free." But also then the next line, I have saved all my ribbons for thee. It's so beautiful. Did she sew some ribbons that her love had given her into some piece, you know, where there are pieces of his handkerchief, where there are these artifacts from her life um, from a childhood bonnet, you know, what did she put in it? And then Golden Glass, my son's song. That song sounds like it would be about something light, but it's a very dark song. And this uh, piece by Aurelia Munoz mm -hmm. looks like a delicate necklace of gold inside a glass case. And then you read the uh, description and it's for a crypt <laughs> so it kind of mimics the song <laughs> and I was thinking about making these textiles like maybe someone started with this kind of light idea you know happiness and as they went inside it it became something much more complicated and darker or vice versa that really interests me too like in songwriting, thinking I'm writing one thing and then I find out I'm writing something completely different. such a treat and quite a feat to be loved by anybody at all. And it's just crazy that your son wrote that. It's such a wise saying. At the age of 19, he wrote that. Or 18, he recorded it at 19. Yeah, 
He's remarkable. It's almost like three generations of songwriting is distilled in this child. He's not a child anymore, but he's my child. Um, um, and yeah, thinking about just the courage it takes to love somebody and make yourself that vulnerable. Yeah. And it takes courage to make art, too. Yeah. Tremendous courage. Yeah. Yeah. To be, because you, it requires you to be you. Yeah. It's so revealing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what art is like. It's, it's, it's taken me a while to get out of my own way. Get out of your own way. I always say that, too. I know a songwriter who um, went back and changed a lot of his songs from first person to third and removed all the eyes and put them with you or they or something. And I thought, well, that's, that's a failure of courage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then my song, Particle and Wave, is about the speed of light and the power of love, you know, and wondering if love was powerful enough to slow the speed of light. Light is particle and wave Our history is written large upon the page The star in middle age I love this song because it's a mystery of, like, time and the reason why we thought of it was because of string theory, which I still feel like I don't fully understand, but one of the implications, I think, of string theory is that our perception of time maybe isn't as we imagine it to be. And we're all connected. Like, there, you're right, there, and I don't understand string theory anyway, but it fascinates <laughs> me. Um, but that... There is no linear time, really. It's just a construct that we've created to make things manageable for ourselves. But it all exists at once. Yeah, a star in middle age, right? Yeah. You're, when you're, what you're seeing is not actually right. a star. You're seeing the past life of the star. <laughs> right. You know, they've determined there is no linear time, really, and yet we can't change the past. So frustrating. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> and then I, I wrote one this line that the light actually reveals what we hold dear. It reveals what we hold dear, and it's slow so I can hold you near. And you know, creating art, whether it's one of these pieces in taking a thread for a walk, or whether it's a song, or whether it's a sculpture. There's mystery at the heart of it. People ask me, how do you write songs? I said, if I could tell you, it wouldn't be songwriting. And that's nature, right? I mean, that's part of God, that creative impulse. Nature isn't magic, it's just a mystery to us. That line that Nico Case wrote, Nature isn't magic, it's just a mystery to us. I, I, it just floors me, it stops me dead in my tracks every time I hear it. And isn't that great that it's a mystery and it just keeps unfolding? Love me hard 
Uh, tell us about this song. Why do you? Why did you choose it? It's a song by Dolly Parton. is a really touching story song about being so poor that her mother made a coat for her of rags, and it was all different colors, and she was so proud of it. That I was so proud of. And of course, you know, um, in looking at this exhibit and the colors of all the tapestries and the weavings and the threads and the coat of many colors. It's a, it's a, uh, an exhibit of many colors, too. <laughs> and I love Dolly. <laughs> and Mama blessed it with a kiss. My coat of many colors that my mama made for me. It made me think about how a lot of adulthood I'm finding is like learning how to accept all the different parts of yourself almost. Yeah, that's very good. I didn't think about that metaphor. Ooh, that's good, Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> and putting them on. <laughs> yeah, putting them on and that your mom gave you. And your mom gave you, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. The last song in my playlist, uh, it's called Up Above My Head, I Hear Music in the Air. When I first saw Le Musicienne's, I immediately thought of this song by Sister Rosetta Tharp. Sister Rosetta Tharp is a musician. The song is about music, and the image is of musicians. So it's a hall of mirrors in a, the best way possible. Sister Rosetta Tharp was born and raised in Cotton Patch, Arkansas. Yes, there is such a place. And it's actually not that far from where my dad was born and raised. And she was, started as a gospel singer. She was a big woman, and she played electric guitar, and every rock and roll guitar player points back to her. Keith Richards, Chuck Berry, they all point back to Sister Rosetta. You know, we're talking in the 30s, 40s, 50s. And say she was the godmother of rock and roll. That's what they call her. She only sang gospel, and then she decided to go into secular music. And she was excoriated for that. You know, you didn't do that back then. You didn't go gospel to secular. The church would cut you off. But she did it. She had tremendous courage. She was really successful. And she was probably bisexual. It's generally acknowledged that she was. Wow. Now, can you imagine a black woman in the South in that time period, bisexual, rock and roll guitar player. It's I mean, it does, you know. Why there, hasn't anyone made a movie? I know, there's her. there's no template for her. I love her very much. This is not a gospel song, or is it? Well, no, it is. It is. It is. Up above my head in heaven, I hear music in the air. <laughs> it's up above her head is heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the magazine podcast. To hear Cash's playlist, visit moma.org slash magazine slash articles slash 212 or follow us, the Museum of Modern Art, on Spotify. 
This episode was produced by me, Natasha Giliberti, with Isabel Custodio, Rafael Tadros, Prudence Pfeiffer, and Leah Dickerman. Our original music was composed by Pablo Altar. Special thanks to Roseanne Cash, Alice Tisch, Mark Auguste Desaire, and Search Party Music. You can find more episodes of the magazine podcast at moma.org slash magazine or wherever you listen to podcasts. 